And oh my gosh, there is a new fish. <laughs> All right, I gotta go. What do you think about <laughs> this? I gotta go. <laughs> uh, we, I'm, I'm Danny. That's Mark, and we have a guest with us today, Sarah Knopf. Yes, Sarah that is me. Knopf, explain who you are. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's kind of a philosophical question. Um, I'm a person. I went to college with Danny and Mark. We had a lot of classes together. That's pretty much it. We wrote plays. <laughs> we did. We acted in plays. We we did all kinds of things with plays. Now, now Sarah... We will talk more about the plays because we usually do take a trip down memory lane at the beginning of the episode whenever oh, we have a guest from college. That sounds great. But, <laughs> but what I was going to say is, are you doing anything uh, nowadays with someone pretty cool who's in this chat? Maybe bi-weekly? Um. <laughs> someone who's in this episode? Do you do something with them every two weeks? Uh, well, I do have another podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, with Danny and Caleb. Is Caleb, is Caleb on the show? No, Caleb is booked either for... He's on the tentative schedule for several movies. Basically okay. as a backup, but he's also got a solid time, too. Yeah, like like months from now. So college. Yes. It was a time. We were all there. Right? No. That's it, yeah. That's it. It happened. Yeah. Sarah wants to play about clown school. It was good. I do. I think about that play all the time. I feel like some of my best writing was during the the Little Muddies. The Big Muddies were the best. I think all the time about my uh, time loop thing that eventually got ripped off like by the... Uh... Oh, not ripped off. It's a very standard thing of like, let's riff on time loops. But like, it was good. I'm amazed that you all remember all of those. I have such a hard time like going back to individual Big Little Muddies. I mean, I remember the like good that. ones. Like, yeah, I remember the plays I wrote that were good. The ones that I, I were bad at, I mean, it was like, well, that sucked. I pretty but, much only remember the bad ones <laughs> because they were more traumatic. I also remember the Little Muddy where uh, I played the three best roles I've ever played in a single night, which were God, Ghost Luke Skywalker, and Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. And I remember Tyler just directing me, like, I want you to give a natural performance to everyone else. And I'm just like, like, hey, man. <laughs> He's like, all right, I can't stop Danny from just doing Shaggy. <laughs> I don't know if we've talked about what this is, but the Little Muddies were the grad, the people who were in the grad playwriting program, or not who were in the program, but who were like taking those classes would do a monthly little showcase of original short plays. So we were all part of those at different times and writing things for those. Writing things, but wronging things, am I right? It was more often wronging things, I think. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I guess I remember some of the bad ones, too. But I remember, like, like right now, the one that's popped in my head, out of nowhere, was the Binky play I wrote. 
uh, where it was like intentionally bad because it was just a very therapeutic rant where I didn't want anyone to pay attention to it. So I just threw in the Binky song from Arthur. So that way you could be like, why'd you blare the Binky song from Arthur? I was like, because I didn't want you to pay attention to anything else going on in there. Sarah, is there anything else you want to introduce about yourself? Like what? I don't know. Just like, what do you want? Like, like, who are you? You had any wacky things happen to you in the past week or so? I don't know. My life was pretty boring. (laughs) Um, not really. I'm kind of a boring person, to be honest. I'm just, you know, I'm just surviving. And that's all I can really do at this point. Well, That's very valid. In the words of uh, probably Adele, you're a survivor. You're not going to give up. I'm not going to keep stopping. You're going to keep on surviving. <laughs> yeah, that sounds vaguely like Adele. I'm sure she said that at some point. <laughs> um. All right. Well, if you don't have any life updates in the last week, Mark, what did you do in this past week? I accidentally was gifted some non-alcoholic beer. Ew. Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, it's not you. It's all <laughs> it's it all olive beer? water. It's all oh. olive soda. It's just some of it gets you drunk. Um, I had a really, I do some catering for money, and sometimes like a client is a little silly, and they'll buy you know too much product, and then they give it out. But then like when the bartenders are doing their inventory, they pack everything up, and these people put like non-alcoholic beer cans into like regular beer boxes and then they were like they sealed it up and then were like offering it to bartenders and people as they were leaving so a bunch of people thought they were walking out of there with like a fun time and we all just got like non-alcoholic beer which is all right because i don't mind having an olive soda every now and then but I just thought it was funny that they, like, scammed us, kind of. That's my big adventure from this past (laughs) week, anyway. (laughs) Well, I'm here to talk about... I think we should have a segment, but not really. But maybe we can do make one later. Where I feel like it's always like, what happened in your last week, Danny? And I go like, well, here's my opinion on some discourse I saw on Twitter. Where it's just like, we could call the segment, like, the hot take. Or, like... The discourse well, everyone like has that. other people's news. I just feel like you can go outside for that. I don't know if I... Here's well, my... I here's all like we need to talk about. Trash your, related, trash your segment. Go for it. A, it's related to the topic at hand, which is today we're covering Monsters, Inc., where stars famously Billy Crystal, John Goodman, Steve Buscemi, and of course all this is to say is that celebrity voice acting is nothing new, but yesterday... At the time of this recording, we heard for the first time Chris Pratt as Mario. <laughs> that is the topic I am bringing is the Super Mario Brothers movie. My but hot take is I thought he was fine. That's the type of hot take you drop because you don't want to work with Chris Pratt later in your career and have this on record. But it's okay. I'll let you say I don't just dis- No, it's like <laughs> he's fine. It's like every celebrity voice actor is coming into this a little bit blind and he's like he just falls on some mushrooms and he's like oh what's going on and then he gets up and then that's the end of it it's gonna be terrible um jack black is in the sorry sarah go Go. i haven't watched the trailer i i plan not to for as long as possible so i have no opinion (laughs) on the voice (laughs) well here's the thing 
as always, when I bring up the discourse, I don't actually have... I, I mean, I can drop my take. I think Chris Pratt's mediocre in it, but I also think the movie's going to be mediocre regardless. It's being made by the worst animation studio currently in business. So I just assume it's going to be bad regardless. So, uh, that said, I think uh, celebrity voice acting is not inherently bad. I think Jack Black is a great choice. You don't even need to watch the trailer. I can be like, Jack Black's a great choice for Bowser. I can say Charlie is a great choice for Luigi. The issue with this, to me, has nothing to do with the trailer itself. It has to do with me searching on Twitter right before this, curious on who else made this comparison. I searched Ben Schwartz Sonic, and there's a bunch of Mario fanboys on Twitter, all of which have around 300 likes on the tweets, so I presume it's an actually pretty insular community of people that are just being pushed to me algorithmically, where they're like, I don't know why you guys are attacking Chris Pafford just using his normal voice. That's what Ben Schwartz does as Sonic. Okay, I contend that Ben Schwartz is not an A-list celebrity. I think the idea of listing Ben Schwartz as a celebrity voice actor is silly, because Ben Schwartz, outside of Parks and Rec, is most famous well, besides Sonic, is most famous for his role on DuckTales, another cartoon. I think Ben Schwartz qualifies as a voice actor who also acts. I don't think he qualifies as Chris Pratt, who shows up in, like, an animated movie once every, like, three years, and that's it. He's not known for his improv special? Yeah, I'm sure the improv special makes has as many viewers as the DuckTales show on Disney Channel, or... The Sonic the Hedgehog movies. The meme community from the improv special is pretty strong. Not strong like whatever. I just see memes made of that. So I think like, you know, he's he's out there in the world. There are no Chris Pratt memes. Are you, are you kidding? Are you can we? Like, one of the most famous memes I can think of is the zoom in on Chris Pratt's face in Parks and Rec. Wait, can we, can we please use his preferred name, CP? Because CP? I'm getting a little confused. He prefers to go by CP. Is that his instances now? <laughs> he said what? that. He said, I don't go by Chris. I like when people call me CP or Pratt. I gotta say, um, I won't say the name of the person on the record, but we do have an upcoming guest at some point in the next year who is booked, who has worked directly with Mr. Pratt. And I'm very excited to like dig in on stories. With him, hopefully, on not on the air, but maybe off mic. Uh, but anyway, with uh, all I have to say is that I think I think Ben Schwartz is not a celebrity. I guess that was the whole point of me bringing up Chris Pratt as Mario. I, I want to have on the record that I don't right. think Ben Schwartz is a celebrity. I guess I can start <laughs> writing down possible episode titles. <laughs> well, I just want to say if we're gonna be doing hot takes. They can bring up Ben Schwartz all they want, but Sonic the movie is bad, so it doesn't make any difference. Yeah, but okay, but the poor quality is not the voice acting. Well, Sonic 2, I mean, Idris Elba. Well, okay, Idris is not good in Sonic 2, but the thing about Idris in Sonic 2 is that he is, the joke, like, it's not intentionally a joke, but anytime Knuckles speaks, I just start giggling because it is just Idris Elba. And it's not like Chris Pratt where it's like, he's going like, let's go to the Mushroom Kingdom. He doesn't actually say that. He goes like, Mushroom Kingdom, here I come. And it's like, all right. It's also like, you know, the trailer, I know you didn't watch the trailer, Sarah. The trailer is like, there's Keegan, Michael Key doing his a, a voice for Toad. There's Jack Black doing a voice for uh, Bowser. 
There's an actual voice actor in the other big role in the trailer. And then there's Chris Pratt who goes in and goes like, Whoa, where am I? And it's like the most generic voiceover role, voice performance ever. I don't know. All I gotta say is the Mario movie is gonna be bad, and I'll probably have to end up seeing it if I still am working where I'm working at the moment. So, what if the kids listen to this episode, Danny? I told them not to listen to this show. That's a bad idea. They should not be listening to this show. Definitely not the Julius episode. That's one set more explicit. So, Sarah, you can make this episode explicit if you want. Just that's a button that we can press. Yeah, you know, the easy way to do it is to quote Ron Perlman on (laughs) Potter's. Well, we did that, and it was bleeped, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we can move on to our games if we unless Sarah has anything she wants. Honestly, Sarah, yours doesn't have to be last week. You just tell us any story you want. Like, literally, be like, well, three years ago, I uh, went went to... Disney. Oh, you can tell us about. Yeah, Wait, man. Actually, have, have can time. I ask you because you never told me about it? And Mark, you know, we're both theater people. How was Anastasia? Oh my gosh, Anastasia was so good. It was. You know what? I wouldn't say. I think. You know, I don't think the critics liked it, but I. I thought it was really good. I thought it was different from the movie. It ends the same way as Pinocchio 2022. Spoilers, where. <laughs> They're like, well, she may have been, or Anastasia may have been alive, or she may not have. But didn't she have a great spirit? And, like, that's how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> it's always funny when it ends. Like, ah, maybe she's dead. Who cares? <laughs> it's just, it was very good. It was very, it was very different from the movie. Movie is my all-time childhood favorite. Um, the music, the added music was really, really good. Um, it didn't have Rasputin in it. But the the villain guy who was like a Soviet was really good as well. So I thought it was really good. So if you are, in a, it's touring right now, so it's not in Chicago anymore. But <laughs> if you can see it, go Wicked see just, it. Wicked's back. Yes. I'm not sue Wicked. Yeah. See, that's the thing is, I I was thinking um, when my boyfriend comes because he's coming to visit, we would see a show, and then. <laughs> It was wicked. So there I was like, is eh. some, there is some good. I don't. I don't know if you're really into like not like. I know by the music box that theater over there is doing Clue right now. I think Clue the musical, and that's a pretty good theater. Uh, and of course, you can always see what's at the Steppenwolf, but that's not musicals. So right. Uh, but Steppenwolf always has something good. Um, all right, should we move on to our games now? I'm ready. Time to play the game. Sarah, I, I, you, you're on the show, so you have to play two games, all right? Okay, the if I must. The first game is my game. It's the Letterbox game. Letterbox has added a feature where at the bottom of the page for any movie you see, um, it will list the films that are most algorithmically related to the movie you just watched. The Letterbox game is a game where you have to guess the film off the five films that are related to it. I remove any film by the same director... I remove any film in the same franchise. And by franchise, I mean any time a character from the movie appears in our After your first two guesses, I'll give you the year the movie came out. If you get, you're still getting it wrong, you'll get one more movie and then another more movie for seven total movies. If you can't get it with seven movies, you lose. Okay. Okay? All right. <laughs> so an example I'll give is for Monsters, Inc. So for Monsters, Inc., the five films I would give you would be Ice Age... Ralph Breaks the Internet, Monster House, 
Toy Story, and How to Train Your Dragon. Then if you got too wrong, I'd obviously say the movie came out in 2001, and then your next two films would be Finding Dory and Toy Story 4. I would have removed Monsters U because it is, you know, same franchise. And I also removed, this is a little bit of a joke type of thing, but it's also true. I removed Finding Nemo because if you remember in the credits of Finding Nemo, Mike Wazowski appears. <laughs> so, so that is how the game works. You can choose to either play competitively with Mark or you can have him be a phone a friend. Um, well, what would you like, Mark? Would you like to play or would you like to participate? <laughs> what? You part- um, participate implies that you are not actually in the game. <laughs> well, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, 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 I'll play along. Um, I'm very bad at it. I don't think I'm a very good phone a friend, but I, I'll play along. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll compete. I'll try right. to win. All right. So in the past, when we've had guests, we have done it in the. We've had it been films that made over a hundred million dollars. I've decided, we've decided recently, we, I've decided recently to change this. So now when we have a guest, it will be the three most popular films on life. Oh, I forgot to say, these are all movies I've seen in the past month. Okay. So these are all movies I have personally seen in the last month. These are organized by popularity on Letterboxd. So we'll start with the most popular film, go to the second most popular film, and then the third most popular film for the three rounds. Okay. Okay. So you ready for round one? I guess. All right. Your five films are. Zack Snyder's Justice League, the original Justice League cut, Avengers Age of Ultron, Thor, Love and Thunder, Dark Phoenix. Oh gosh. Um, I'm going to do a wild card only because I follow you on Letterboxd. <laughs> um, I'm going to say Avatar. Mark, what is uh, your guess? I'm going to guess you rewatched um, whichever Avengers movie it was that had Black Panther in it in preparation for Wakanda there Forever. Are two Avengers movies with Black Panther in it. You need Which, to be more uh, whichever was the first one that he was Infinity in. War? So yeah. you guess Avengers Infinity War? Yeah. All right. So it is not Avatar, and Avatar is not in the top 25 options. It is not Avengers Infinity War. But Avengers Infinity War is in the top 25. Okay? Mm. So, since those were two guests, I will now give you the year. And just so we're clear, if you still get it wrong afterwards, we still do two more rounds of one additional film each time. We don't go like, well, those two more guesses, so you both lose, you know? So, the year this film came out is 2021. <laughs> Was this it is... No Way Home? Well, Sarah needs to lock in her guess. Um, oh, jeez. So, the rules are... <laughs> That a character you are excluding films where a character has already been in it. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so Mark's logic of like, well, you listed Marvel movies that don't have Black Panther in it is a valid way to look at it. Okay. I'm not saying it is a Black Panther movie. I'm just saying like that is a valid. I, I'm using because that was the logic he used previously for Infinity War. Was like I don't well, know if you you can trust my logic because I can never remember who was in what movie. My thought was just like. They're all superhero team-up movies, and Wakanda Forever is coming out soon, so I thought maybe those two things, like, they got me there. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna say, I know this is wrong, but I'm gonna say the Lego Batman movie. Alright, so I'll answer Sarah first. The Lego Batman movie is not the top 25, it is not the film, but Mark is correct, it is Spider-Man No Way Home. Nah, why'd you watch uh, that? 
Well, because it was in the re-release and I'd never seen it in Dolby. Well, what I will say, because I liked doing this part, the next two films we would have got would have been Eternals and Avengers 1. Infinity War is actually the very first film that's listed as a related film, but as both Spider-Man and Doctor Strange are in it, I had to remove it. Actually, I think this will have the record of films removed to make it to our top 25. I will now list the films I had to remove in order from most related to the last one, which is Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man Far From Home, Spider-Man 3, Captain America Civil War, Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, The Amazing Spider-Man, and that's it. So 11 films I had to remove. Mm. All right, so that's round one. Okay. You ready for round two? I guess. All right, round two. Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, Valyria and the City of a Thousand Planets, John Carter, Dune, District 9. I'm going to say Avatar again. This sounds like Avatar to me. Yeah, I think this one is Avatar. Yeah, this is <laughs> Avatar. The next two would have been Battle for Terra and The Day the Earth Stood Still Keanu remake. Um, and yeah, this would have been my update, my life update if uh, it was not the movie I was including for the Letterbox game, which is that um, Avatar is re-released and I have seen it three times in its re-release despite having not watched it since 2010. Uh, call me an uh, Avatar head now. The Navi. Because they don't have a real fan name because nobody likes the movie. That's not true nowadays. They call <laughs> they should call them papyrus heads, like cheese heads, but papyrus heads. <laughs> I don't know if no I one likes like the... the movie. It's just like hard to point out what is good about it. And like I it's mean, very easy to critique it. And it just has nothing like really remarkable about it. That's but I think true. it's fine. That's, 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 that's a flat out <laughs> lie. Here's the thing. Here's the reason why Avatar has not existed in the pop, pop, pop culture pop conscious is because the major technical innovation of avatar is not the cgi it is the 3d the 3d is phenomenal it is immersive in a way no other 3d movie has been since avatar and no 3d movie was before avatar that is the whole reason i have rewatched it three times in two weeks in theaters because i am well aware that once it is out of theaters i will not watch this again until they re-release it again in 3d because at home Yes, it is a kind of boring slog, but in the theater, in 3D, it is a hypnotic, like, transportation to another world unlike anything else. I also have other hot takes about Avatar that I could drop, but I don't... It's the game time, so I don't know if now's the time for me to be like, here's why Avatar is actually good. Especially because I'm sure when The Way of Water comes out, we will actually discuss it during our intro at one point, because it will be such a huge movie that we won't be able to avoid talking about it during our intro. So, yeah. Mark's like, I'm not going to see The Way of Water. Fuck you. No, I think I will, but I think it's funny to, like, imagine that, like... You'll, you'll you be like, I saw it in 2D, and I'll be like... <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, we have the big IMAX screen. I'll go check it out when it comes up. But I think it's funny to imagine, like, not planning on seeing it, but, like, just waking up in the theater, not sure how you got there, and that's, like, how everyone watches Avatar. See, that's the <laughs> like, thing, too, oh, is well, also, like, the post-credits, they have a mid-credits scene attached in this re-release... I still have, there's three of them, and I haven't got the one with Brendan Fraser yet, um, which is a bummer. Oh, dang. None of you taking the bait. That's okay. That's fine. You don't need to. <laughs> there's one about a whale. There's one of the post-credit scenes is about a whale. So. I think we have to know that there's a whale in the post-credit scene. Why, why so would like, we, why would we you know assume, that? You can assume that there's not a Brendan Fraser one, so it's like you're supposed to take the bait. And you're like, Brendan Fraser? Is there like a mummy? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Are they back in action like the Looney Tunes? I kind of thought that this was a surprise that said that he was in the sequel, and that's what you were telling us, is that, like, 
oh man, he's gonna be in way of water. Oh, I was like, oh. Looks, there, the the mid credit scene of that. It's just the Navi learning how to dive, and I legit like felt my heart race like I haven't like in a movie theater where I was just kind of like in awe of what I was seeing. And that is the uh, hype thing I'll drop on this, and then everyone will see it and be like, "Danny, you overhyped." Like the time I walked out of everything ever all at once, and I was like, "That must have been like when people left the Matrix," and everyone was like. Danny, you just made the movie hype too high, and now it sucks. And I was like, well, sorry. All right. I disagree. I agree one. with your hype. I loved that movie. <laughs> it was good. You guys ready for round three? Yeah. Yes. I guess you guys, I mean Sarah, because I don't really care about <laughs> Mark. He, I care. Here. I'm doing great. This is the best I've done in this game in a while. All right. Your films are, your five films are, Open Water, The Birds, The Shallows, the Reef, The Meg. Did you watch The Abyss in preparation for Avatar? Um, well, Sarah's got a guess. What's that one that was questions. like the cro- the crocodile? I'm going to say Crawl. Is that it? Crawl? Crawl is not it, but Crawl is in the top 25. The Abyss is not it. It does not look like The Abyss is in the top 25. Mm. The year is 1975. Jaws? Um, I'm going to say Jaws. I thought Jaws came out two years later, but we'll say Jaws. It is Jaws. The ah. next two films I would have given... Would, oh, I forgot to say that for Avatar, did I? Uh, well, the next two films for Jaws would have been The Meg. Oh, I already said The Meg, right? Deep Blue Sea, and weirdly enough, A Quiet Place, too. Uh, I don't, I'm Cinematic classic. Duh. It, oh, I did say it reinvented the summer blockbuster. <laughs> you 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 joke, but honestly, Quiet Place Two did save the summer blockbuster. <laughs> it brought it back. <laughs> I mean, anything dormant. could have brought it back. We were in a pandemic. That's not true. Corolla didn't make that amount of money that Quiet Place Two did. Corolla was too long. It was like two hours long. Yeah, I watched Jaws for the re-release they did. It's on those movies where I was really t- like, you know, I could be like it was great, but you know. I, I was really tempted to put up a letterbox review that was like, it's Jaws, 5 out of 5. Like, I don't know what you expect me to say about it, it's Jaws. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, those are, uh, that's the letterbox game. Those are all three of the three most popular movies I saw in the last month. Good times. Good for you. All right. Good times. Yeah, well, good for you for uh, playing the game. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. You don't know this, Sarah, but I'm very happy because I haven't gotten a three for fruit through three in a long time. It's a good day. All right, so my game is the game of lists. A lot of people like making lists of movies and putting them online, and I find one of those, and then I bring it here, and I just ask y'all questions about it. And it's basically just whatever trivia. So this week, I found the list, um, the Washington Post published something, I think it was like September 6th, about the most taught films in college classes. Oh, yeah. And they did this by um, using a survey of syllabi that was on opensyllabus.org, and I'm going to put a link to that in the episode description so people can click around on there. It's very interactive and fun. But basically, the list that the Washington Post published was they found, looking at the syllabi and the movies on it, that uh, Man with a Movie Camera was the most taught film by inclusion in syllabi, and then it went Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, and then it like went down, and then they had like 
your you know your like triumph of the wills and birth of the nations and other classics of cinema um in its top 10 list and the list itself is massive you can go online and check it out now the washington post organized those movies by how often they were included but if you go to the site you can also order the movies by release date so you can see every movie that was included on syllabi um, in order of when they were released. So that's actually the list that I'm going to be asking you about, is the list of most taught films, but in order of year. Because like, All right, so what's the one right in the middle? So what's the heck in the middle? <laughs> nah, I, I, I have no idea way what that would be. You could probably, like... I don't know. You could, you know, you could probably well, do you some know, like, question, statistics crap I was going to say, that, the question but, there is more like, Danny, what is the... Uh, what is the exact middle point of the cinematic art form. <laughs> I, from this, you could kind of argue that it's 70s, 80s, because the graph kind of looks like very scattered around the early days, and then it really picks up. Like, people teach contemporary movies way more than I thought they did, looking at this. Um, and these the syllabi they collected were from 2015 to the present, so they're looking at that, but like, even the, it was really surprising how many movies they taught that were like current when I thought that you could really like fill things up with the 60s and 50s but anyway so we're talking about the list of movies taught in college but we're talking about them in terms of when they came out so the release years so first of three questions and I want to do this competitively but like it's loose you can talk amongst yourselves first question what were the earliest drama and the earliest documentary films listed on syllabi. Is it short films too? These are these are both short films. This question is a little funky because, of course, every random syllabi is going to have one movie that you've never heard of out in the middle of nowhere. It had to, they had to reach a minimum number of syllabi to be included on the list, so that's something to keep in mind. Like it's not going to be a deeper cut than that. They are short films. Also, documentary is kind of a loose term here. Well, I think documentary has to be The Kiss. I don't know when movies came out. It's either The Kiss or The Man Riding the Horse, whatever that is. The one from Nope. The one from Nope. And then drama. I feel like the drama. Well, I guess the runtime. Well, actually, I'm changing my answer. I'm changing my answer. It's the, the earliest documentary is the train pulling into the station. Oh duh, yeah, that's right. It's gotta be the train. Let me let me throw something out there. <laughs> let me throw something out there. You could argue that even though these are documentaries, both of the films that they list have a bit of editing. Okay, so it's not just the kiss. Well, I was gonna say then for short film narrative, I think it's the Great Train Robbery because I just I saw that at Momi and I remember remembering it was eighteen ninety nine. I was like, whoa, this is way earlier for. For a movie that's this long um and there's a lot of editing in that so i'm gonna go with the great train robbery for narrative film for drama yeah sorry drama um, um i'm gonna say not suspense but the one that dw griffith made the year before for drama uh, Pre-suspense DW. Griffith. I don't know what it's called. It's like the. So that's 1909. That'd be. I know this isn't suspense 1910. So that would be 1909. I think DW it's Griffith. 1911. But 
but whatever. That's my pick, which mm. I know it's probably wrong. No, no, I mean, they're good guesses. This game is a lot about... This is more Doc, fun. The, the reasoning is just, more fun. Hmm? Doc will just go from the Nuke of the North. I don't know. I had no other idea of what a documentary that was edited early on would be besides the Nuke of the North. Yeah. So... So... The the answer is that they have the Great Train Robbery. I had to check. It seems like online, it seems to say that it was released in 1903. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I'm I don't know. I'm just kind of looking at, like, Wikipedia, Great Train Robbery, 1903 film. So I might be incorrect, or it may have had a staggered release. But the earliest drama... No, you're right. You're right. I was wrong. The earliest drama is Georges Méliès' Trip to the Moon. 1902. As soon as you said it was 1903, I was like, oh, then it's Trip to the Moon. It was close. And the earliest documentary that they list is Manhattan, which is a city symphony. We both oh. definitely would have known about Manhattan. We would have. I th Nanook of the North was 1922. But that is... No, I knew that, I knew that was probably not it. Well, I wanted you to know by how much, because it's not a bad guess, but it's like... You do think of that as an early documentary, but this is like so early that it's like they're just clips of cities. So it's like going back to that time. And keep in mind too that this is based on like how often they're included in these syllabi. So nice. You're all wrong. Next question. On the list of all films in order of year, which year had the most films on syllabi? I'm going to go with 75. That's the year of Rocky, Taxi Driver, Network. A lot of our small ones, too. I'm going to say 68. Uh, no. Try. <laughs> or, no, I'm just. <laughs> well, no, you're okay. all wrong. <laughs> you think, think way more contemporary. I'll just say that. Try, try one more time. Because your reasoning is good, but yeah. 2007. 2007. Oh, yeah, 2007 seems about right, because There Will Be Blood, Assassination, Jesse James, uh, Ratatouille, Michael Clayton, Should I All Keep right. Going, There Will Be Blood, they already said that, No Country for Old Men, yeah. All it's right. going to be like 2015, and he's going to be like, oh, they all just show Fury Road and Inside Out. No, oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, it's actually 2008. <laughs> so, oh, like, really Oh, yeah, guess. because they try to, because you try to get in those the, the kids who are like, oh yeah, films just, I only like Batman. So they show The Dark Knight, and then they go like, and here's Wally, and here's Slumdog Millionaire, and here's, uh, I don't know what else from 2000. Yeah. Some of the <laughs> things they list on here are Slumdog Millionaire, Twilight, uh, Be Kind Rewind, <laughs> The Dark Knight. I guess Be Kind Rewind makes sense as like a, look how cool filmmaking is type of movie. Yeah, they have like the wrestler and Wally on here. Oh, I forgot about so, the wrestler. The wrestlers make sense too. Yeah. All right. Last question. Of all the years which had films included on syllabi, which year had the most films directed by women? <laughs> um, I'm gonna go twenty seventeen because I know there's an Agnes Varda that year. I know Wonder Woman's that year, which makes sense as a good, like, you know how, like, our film school always like, we're showing Inception this year. Uh, we're showing, uh, we're showing Mad Max Fury Road this year. Wonder Woman, even though it's a superhero movie, makes sense for it. For that, like, take two. And I think this, isn't that the year Lim Ramsey's, uh, You Were Never Really Here came out? Or is it too recent to show You Were Never Really Here in film school? I don't know if they would show but, that. 
my other gut, my other gut thing went to um, whatever the remains of the day came out, but I can't think of any other movie directed by a woman that came out that year. Wait, that's not the movie. You know what I'm talking about? The uh, Barbara Streisand film, Prince of Tides. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Not remains of the day. Yeah, but I can't think if there's any other films directed by a woman from that year. That'd be a big deal. Maybe there's an Agnes Varda that I'm unaware of. Um... Oh, wait, is that when is that when the piano came out? So maybe it's whatever year that is, but considering Mark probably has all the answers in front of him, and he's like, I don't know about the piano, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just double down with 2017. Um, <laughs> I, hmm, this is interesting, because you could say 99, you could say... 99's a good one. 2009, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna go with my gun, I'm gonna say 99. You know, 99 wait, wait, is well, correct. Oh, cool. I was going to say, Mark's going <laughs> right to be a money. trick question, cool. and I'm asking for just the number of times the movie is shown, in which case it's uh, Adventures of Prince Ahmed. No, I'm kidding. I'm no, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, 99 has a lot of entries, Botrevi, The Matrix, um, there's, a, got, uh, there's a Lynn Ramsey on here, they have Titus, uh, Julie Taymor. Of course, Taymore. American Psycho, I'm sure. American Psycho hmm? was 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What?! I always okay. I guess I just kind of file it away with like Magnolia. All right. I don't know why. I don't know why it just does. It gets filed away with Magnolia. It's got the same kind of fan base. I feel like. So that was the game of lists. Had well done, everyone. Sarah, what was your first encounter with Pixar? Oh my gosh. I mean, probably, probably Toy Story two. However, it's. You know, they all kind of blend together, the early ones. It was definitely, you know, Toy Story, Toy Story, or Toy Story, Bugs Life, Toy Story 2. We definitely had the Toy Story 1 and 2 DVD set, but we had a Bugs Life on VHS. And I remember watching them both, or all three of them very distinctly. I remember when I was in preschool, I was Jesse um, for Halloween. So, I mean, they all kind of blend together in that way. Um, I would say I have the most fond memories of A Bug's Life, uh, which is probably the most problematic one now. Um, but I just, I was a very, you know, I was a, I was a VCR kid. So I would, you know, I was all about, you know, pushing the tape in and rewinding and all that. And um, I have very distinct memories of the outtakes from, I've, I mean, from all of them, but especially A Bug's Life. That's interesting because we, we are like very divided as a podcast about the legacy of Bugs Life. Now, that was a lot of what we talked about is like, it has I mean, not Sarah was aged there super for, well, uh, but some things Sarah have. Sarah was and, there like, for the legacy that we talked about too, but we don't mm-hmm. need to get all back into that again. So like, what does Pixar mean to you now? Honestly, <laughs> not much. <laughs> I think it's the thing that Danny keeps obnoxiously texting me about that I, mean, I don't care about the news on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the last Pixar movie that I saw was, was it, I think it was Coco. You know, you saw Incredibles too. Incredibles two is best. Oh, I did see. But Coco's the last one. I did see Incredibles two. I just, I think that it's. I hate to say this because I don't want to sound disparaging, but I feel like I personally have outgrown Pixar, and I understand that they've always been, you know, more. They've been for adults and children, but for me, I just haven't found one. I just, you know, the subject matters and things like that. They just, they just don't resonate with me, which is kind of. Okay, <laughs> which is, you know, it's like, it's unfortunate because now they're obviously, they're, you know, finally getting some female directors and they're finally, you know, diversifying their movies. But I just, I just feel like it's just not really 
something that interests me anymore. And I mean, I don't know, maybe animation in general is just not really for me at the moment. See, that there, what you just said right there is the key on why I'm not jumping down your throat compared to other guests who have had a similar answer. Because if you know me, my name is people and people are like, yeah, I don't know. I'm more into the Disney stuff now. I'm like, what the? What are you talking about? The Disney stuff is bad. What are you talking about? This is my Chris Pettis Mario impression. What are you talking? But you'd be like, yeah, I'm just not into animation. I'm like, okay, well, that's fair. You know, like, <laughs> big difference in being like, I really liked Encanto. Yeah, I haven't seen Encanto. I don't think I've seen a Disney movie since. Moana? Moana, probably. I'm I mean, surprised you, that no one checked out Turning Red. I... I got I watched it on whenever it I guess it was only on streaming for me anyway but like no, it wasn't. I don't know Mark you saw it well, at the AMC s- I forced you to go to the AMC to see it Oh <laughs> do you remember That's... this whole thing I was like Mark you have to go to the AMC to see it I think we talked about that now that you've mentioned uh, it you got pushed to go there for why is with Ty and Dan, and I presume you listen to my other podcast. Oh, that's right. I actually right? do listen. Well, I listen to this show, and I do actually listen to other podcasts, but I forgot about that because I don't like I don't like going to the theater. But I just I don't know. I'm surprised that no one checked out Turning Red, especially because it's accessible on the TV, or people don't have Disney Plus or whatever. I'm sorry, but Wait, like, like it's just on the TV. You can just click a button. It's right there. It's kind of grand well, yeah. energy, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. For real, man, not everything is is uh, like Avatar and IMAX. That's my whole That's my whole beef uh, with going to the theater. I would have seen Turning Red in, in IMAX 3D. I would have been like, that panda looks very fluffy. I've heard you just saying that panda looks fluffy. I don't know why I'm complaining. I saw Turning Red in like a Dolby theater. <laughs> like It's the highest quality I could have seen that film. I'm just surprised no. that I thought that like we were going to talk to a lot of people who would like, and even if they didn't watch Pixar, they would have gone out and seen Turning Red, just because it was it was directed by a woman and it was different in a lot of ways, and it was on the TV, and I thought that, <laughs> I thought that our guests would like come to us with Turning Red takes, but I'm I don't know. It was like you and me saw it and no one else did. Well, I mean, that is the, the the cultural failure of streaming, you know, is that I think about the Oscars this past year, where... Actually, I don't know if you guys saw that in the news. It's interesting is that uh, Richard Linklater is currently fighting the Oscars because they don't view his animated movie as animation. Did I not send that to you, Sarah? No. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. He's apparently been back and forth with the animation branch for the last few months because they wanted to disqualify his Netflix movie, Apollo 10 and a Half, because it was still in photoscoping. But he's like, no... Like he's, he's the artists who like did the rotoscoping still gave a lot of work into it. Like wow. it is the same technique as like loving Vincent. If it was like, he, if it was anybody else but Richard Linklater, maybe I would feel bad for him. <laughs> okay, that is, we don't need to get into that right now. Um, but but my point is is that I think about at the Oscars last year when they had Halle Bailey, uh, Naomi Scott. And Rachel, no, it wasn't Rachel Zegler. That was what was weird was that because originally she wasn't invited to the Oscars and they had that whole thing where everyone came out except her. And it's like, wait, what? Who was the other one? It wasn't Emma Watson. Now, now I'm going to. Was it Lily? Oh, it was Lily James. Lily James. It was Lily James. Yeah. And they're all like, oh, animated movies, that great thing you, you can play while you're trying to do some work in the other room and your kid's just calling you over. And they was just like saying like, oh, yeah, that's what animation's for is what you put on the TV. 
And it's like, anyway, here's the best kids movie to get an Oscar. The first nominee is Flea, a PG-13 rated documentary about... Yeah, you, you know? It's... But anyway, uh, I, all I have to say is I think that's why Turning Red is... I'm not speaking for you, Sarah. I'm just saying in general to the culture, because that's what Mark is more... I think Mark is not talking about you specifically here. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not attacking. <laughs> I'm not attacking you. You I'm say just... you like women! No, well, I'm just... I, I think if no, I was... You know, I think if I was maybe 10 years younger, then I would really appreciate a movie like Turning Red. But I feel like it's not really... You know, I, I think that you can appreciate something without having to experience it. I just feel like it's just not a movie for me. It's a movie for somebody who's younger than me. But adults can relate to it, obviously. But it's just not, it's just not really something that, you know, interests me at the moment. It's- it's like the uh, Arthur episode where they go to see Cars and Kung Fu Panda and they're like, where are the women at? And they make their own movie. Sarah also joined what? me in the Arthur Marathon. <laughs> what? This is a real episode of Arthur. I'm not making this up. Sarah, vouch for me. I'm not that making, is a, this is a real episode. That is a, did you see Arthur? <laughs> sorry, sorry, digressing, but did you see Arthur is starting a podcast? Yeah, I think tomorrow. I was like, we got to get him that. on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get Arthur on. <laughs> I don't know what 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 would be the best picture movie to get Arthur on for. He probably he seems like he would like like the good dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> He's like I can really relate to him, <laughs> the character. But yeah, Sarah. All right, like that's I mean that's all fair. That's all very fair to say. Um, it it always bums me out in a sense, but you know, I don't really watch a lot of horror movies. So it's okay. We can still be friends and not like be obsessed with the same things. Other than Mark, Mark, Mark has to be obsessed with everything I like. That's why we're doing a Pixar podcast. Yeah, that's really what's going on here. Is why did I watch Turning Red? (laughs) Besides me questioning everything. I mean, in all honesty, you watched Turning Red because I wanted to announce this podcast existence and in a a bonus episode of why he's about Turning Red. But it's like, I can't have Mark just come on at the end and be like, oh, by the way, I'm doing a Pixar podcast with Danny. Oh, what'd you think of Turning Red? Oh, I didn't see it. Like, you know, like, that's... If I have to watch... If I have to watch Affairs of... If I have to watch Affairs of Cellini, then Mark can watch Turning Red. <laughs> I have no well, problem no, the, with it, though. I, I got the around... The issue that Mark's gonna have is when we get to the good dinosaur of Mark. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be my Passion of the Christ. <laughs> I mean, I'm, as I've said, <laughs> no I was listening uh, joke to, to reference another podcast that, I know, Mark, you don't like me referencing a podcast, but I already talked about it earlier, is a friend of the podcast, Kevin Lau's podcast, Committed Critics. I'm finally going through their backlog, and they did this episode that I listened to today, which is our favorite Pixar movies, and there's so many moments where like, oh, you're lucky I'm not in that room. Someone says Cars 3 is a good movie. No. Cars 2 is the best. And someone is like, no, Cars 2 is good. And I'm like, good. I'm glad... We're in here defending the honor of Cars 2. All this to say is that I'm looking forward to the day Mark has to watch Cars 2 and join me in the sun. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I'll do that. I, I don't know. I need a third no, meal today. Maybe you I'll cannot do that tonight. Watch, no, you cannot watch Cars 2 until we do the episode because we need <laughs> your uh, reaction. I know for Toy Story 4, I was like, yeah, sure, watch it. For Cars 2, you need to wait. You need to wait to talk about Cars 2 with me because I want you to be like, I want, I want it to be fresh. <laughs> That's how it'd be when we talk about Cars 2. Sorry, what's your opinion on the Cars franchise? 
Um, What's your opinion on John Lasseter as a filmmaker? Well, (laughs) uh, you know, I would probably sit on the other side of the table from him. Uh, (laughs) Cars? You know what? This is going to sound horrible. Cars is for boys. It's not for girls. It's for boys. It is for boys. You're right. <laughs> that's that's what the the Arthur episode was about. It was, it's true. That's what the Arthur episode was about. They're, they walk in like these are for boys. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I've ever met a girl who likes cars. I mean, I think they try. I never saw Cars three, but I think they tried uh, when they put a girl to car. Podcast. But yeah, you know, the, the feminist cars movie also has <laughs> Army Hammer in it. So. Yeah, I was gonna say, Cars Three is like the second most canceled Pixar movie besides Bugs Life. <laughs> uh, should we talk about? Uh, should we? Should we? Should we talk about Bruno? Mm, maybe not. No, Bruno well, for us. Everyone. I mean, I think it'll be great when we get to our Luke episode. I can finally go like, let's talk about Bruno. All right. We'll take a trip to the year 2001 with Monsters, Inc. November 2001. Big movie, big deal for Pixar because this is a big... I say this for every movie. (laughs) We'll see when I stop going, big, big moment for Pixar. Big step (laughs) in its development. Is that this is the first film not directed by John Lasseter. That we will cover that is a feature film. This is made by Pete Docter, current head of Pixar. And probably uh, a take that I will continue to drop in the show, which is amusing because I don't think any of his movies would be in my top five. But I think he is the most interesting auteur that Pixar ever produced. Because uh, I think all of his films have a very similar style that are very different and clear evolutions of the previous style. But anyway, Monsters, Inc., one of the, the famed first four Pixar pitches... It's about blue-collar energy. It's about boys who work in the industry. Hell yeah. A lot of boys in this movie. Hell yeah. There's one girl in her. There's one girl. (laughs) There's two girls. One of them can only go, Dr. Beepa. And the other one only exists to yell at Mike. There's three. Uh, You're forgetting about Roz. Oh, she's voiced by a man. (laughs) But yes, Roz Roz is an icon. Wait, Okay, wait. Hold on. Because I truly thought the only two women were... Celia and Roz. Who is the third one? Um, we're not. We're not gonna say because you're gonna feel really stupid when you think about it. So I'm gonna. <laughs> is it Boo? Does she yes, count? Yes, Boo is a girl. Boo is oh, a girl. okay. Well, does she great. count? Does Boo count? She's the third most important character in the story. <laughs> of course, she counts. <laughs> well, I don't know. She has no lines. Yeah, she does. She goes. Well, actually, what do you mean she has no lines. The last line in the movie is "Kitty." <laughs> well, fun fact about that. So I watched this right before we recorded with my boyfriend. My boyfriend is a—he's a teacher, and he teaches you know kids that are around Boo's age. And I asked him, I was like, "Do do babies like speak with a sentence structure, but like just like gibberish?" And he was like, "No, absolutely not. They don't do that." So whatever, whatever they did to Boo. Not correct. Strike I, I one. Like, I don't know. I always think about the quote of Boo line. It's the moment when she like shows the, uh, you know, the the drawing. He just goes. It's just not right. Can Can I read you the Wikipedia first paragraph for the voice actress for Boo? Please, because I was like, what an interesting bit of trivia. Like, who was this? So. Uh, you know, her, her real name is like Mary Gibbs in the film, and I, apparently the actress's name is also Mary Gibbs. 
So he Mary just used her drawings and put it right in the movie. That's why. Go on. Yeah. Well, I don't know. This is all. This is all. You're telling. This is true. We have an audience. I'm telling this to them. <laughs> so Mary Morgan Gibbs, born October fifth, nineteen ninety six, is an American voice actress. She voiced Boo in the Pixar animated film Monsters Inc. Her middle name has been misstated as Jessica, when in fact her middle name is Morgan. She had the issue corrected on IMDb. <laughs> Well, first of all, um, first of all, happy 26th birthday, Mary. (laughs) We just missed it. Actually, fun fact, Sarah, also for us, is that um, Monsters, Inc. would have been one other movie winning away from being a Snuff Club movie. But it won. Oh, wait, that's not true. It won an award. Sorry. My bad. I'm stupid. Moving on. (laughs) I forget. Because I, you know, because it famously lost animated feature. Um, We'll get into all that later. I don't know. I think that's the intro. I think I, I think I've introed it enough. So, Monsters Inc. Good movie. <laughs> I'll so, tell you what. I don't know. I came. We talked a little bit about this before the episode started. But I didn't know it was going to so be like that. I didn't know it was so going to be this type of podcast. I don't know. What? <laughs> I was told Wait. I was going to come on, watch my favorite movie, talk about it. I'm not going to Oh, no, this is movie. your favorite film. <laughs> Never mind me jumping around. <laughs> not looking at the episode outline. I'm looking at the Wikipedia for Mary Gibbs. <laughs> um, well, okay. Well, Sarah. Yes? Why did you want to come on for Monsters A? Well, um... <laughs> My favorite movie. Mark's <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. Great. You know what? I I would be happy to hear your dissenting opinions. <laughs> wait. I mean, they're wait, mild wait. and not directed at you. I totally <laughs> forgot that that was why you came on. <laughs> Sarah, though, why is it your favorite movie? All right, like, give us give us like the basic ladder box review. Don't actually read the ladder box review. Okay. Like, give us your basic take on the movie. I just feel like, you know, it's 90 minutes, but it's, I feel like how it's structured is so, the pacing is very well done. It just feels like it's just, every beat hits perfectly. I think the humor is fantastic. I think it's perfectly cast. I think, you know, John Goodman and Bill, and Billy Crystal are fantastic. I think that it, it's a Pixar Mary movie. Gibbs, not Morgan. Well, she's, Sorry. yeah, she's, I mean, <laughs> she's no, yeah, on. she's good. Um, I just feel like, you know, as a Pixar movie, I think nowadays they really try to like tug at your heartstrings. You know, we've seen that scene from Up however many times. It's just not, I mean, it just feels so forced to me. And I feel like this is like the original Pixar emotional ending without trying too hard. And I just, I love it. I just, I love Mike Wazowski. I love James P. Sullivan. I love them all. I think, okay, well, first off, this time watching it was probably the worst time for a while. <laughs> However, I'm not holding that against the movie because here's the thing is today, this morning, so I watched it last night. I was kind of like, I had to, I was kind of bored doing it, which is unusual because, you know, when we rewatched Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 1, I've been really into it. So I'm like, huh, I wonder if there's an issue with the movie. And this morning, when I took my normal 40 minute nap, I somehow slept for three hours. So I think I'm just exhausted. Like, I think I'm just in a physical state of exhaustion right now where I don't want to hold that against the movie because, you know, I've rewatched this movie a ton. I don't know if now is the time we should really talk about, because we're more giving our general thoughts on the movie, but, like, my personal connection to the film. 
And I think I'll hold it back. Sarah, you didn't really give yours. So we'll, we'll get into that. But I'll hold it back. But this is definitely one of my most watched films as a kid. To the point where... even though I know I've said that about like Toy Story 2 and Toy Story. But there were points in this movie where I was literally just... Re- like, to try to stay awake with it, I would recite along with the movie. Like... I'll condemn a thousand children before I let this company die, and I'll always for anyone who stands in my way. Like stuff like, like I would do that whole scene as it went. Um, I my opinion on this movie remains the same though that I think this is the most creative. Like conceptually speaking, this is like such a brilliant creative idea. It's something where to me, I remember even as a kid, we'd watch this on a long road trip. I don't remember what point this became. Like I think this becomes a joke in like everyone's point of development is starting to think about how these things are made and like how the pitches were made so i remember very distinctly like we had we once went on this road trip where the only thing we had was the season two box set of spongebob and monsters inc and we would watch the season two box set of spongebob and be like oh yeah this is definitely how they pitched it like what if the pat crowdy patties were colored differently yeah do an episode on that you know like stuff like 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 around middle school like that's the type of joke you make and with monsters inc it's like you think about that and you go like dang this is like really like so what if the monsters in your closet were just like power plant workers and screams powered their society? And what if like since kids are getting less scared these days because they're getting desensitized, there's a power shortage. And in order to like make it so the monsters don't take all humans for power, they think monsters human like it is such a well thought out world. Although I will also say that because I've given Mark's I feel like Mark will bring this up is that in our Bugs Life episode. I complained about how the bug world is very just human. But I think the difference here is that in Monsters Inc. 1, as I said, it has that so interesting power structure. Like, to the logic in, like, why monsters, like, would want to scare children. Uh, by the way, I forgot to mention this. This is a, an unofficial spooky season episode because it's monsters and it's October. Uh, but... Also, I lost my train of thought by saying that, <laughs> but it's just a really well thought out idea. It is really creative. And, uh, you know, also like the the banishment stuff. Um, and also, I think even if I want to be like a, a, a grumpy adult who nitpicks this world building, it's like, it's too similar to the human world. The difference here is that the monsters have a clear connection to the human world that they see every night if they work at the power plant. And presumably this has always been how it's worked for these monsters. So, I, I don't have that issue with the film. I, my point is, I think this is just a wildly creative movie. My mom has always said, I actually remember that very distinctly. My mom's opinion on this movie is always like, I probably took that opinion from her, honestly. I remember my mom's always been like, I think this is like one of the most creative movies I've ever seen. Uh, and I remember her saying the next time she said that was like Wreck-It Ralph, which I don't think is nearly as creative as this. But... <laughs> But I, I agree with her. I think this is fantastic. I think this is a... Uh, I, I do think it is definitely a movie I'm a little too familiar with. I think there are moments of it I get kind of bored now, but it has nothing to do with the quality of the film. It has to do with my familiarity. And I think, yeah, Billy Crystal and John Goodman are fantastic. Um, I think it's interesting... Well, I'll, I'll let Mark give his take, and then I want to talk about the voice acting a bit, too, at some point. So. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> my, like... You know, when I first encountered this movie, it was with that, like, soup... The soup of early 2000s movies, watching these all on VHS and passing them around like that. I I did not actually like this movie as a kid because I found it very distressing for whatever reasons. Like, 
even watching it now, you I remember like... You afraid of some monstrous little baby? Sorry, go well, on. <laughs> not the... I don't know if it was the monsters exactly, I but I mean, scary. it's it's a lot of like textural things. Like, you know those, um, it was like the gross-out paintings in Spongebob, and they're like, make your skin crawl? Like, so much of this movie does that to me, and somehow I, like, had that as a kid, and now I think I have it differently as an adult, but I just didn't watch this very much as a kid, except when someone would, like, put it on. I think a part of that had a little, when I was younger, part of that had to do with, like, I don't, th like, I don't think this is a boy movie. And that was something that was important to me when I was younger. I, I, we talked about this in like a very recent episode about... It was something to do with Buzz Lightyear. Um, so probably but, last week's episode about Buzz. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh, that was last week's episode. Yeah. So I think that's that was part of it for me watching it as a kid. And now watching it as an adult, I still have all the gross things. And like hearing a kid cry just also gives me the heebie-jeebies about... Like, like, uh, you are like so distressed, which again, none of this is actually like a fault. Nothing. None of this is faults with the film. I, I think I agree with everything that you, you both have said about positive aspects of the movie and looking at my notes, a lot of my notes I took down are about how aesthetic things really, they just, I have like oh this person is frustrating and uh it's gross and th that sort of thing there and i love that this is now one of many movies now that seem to have had a time unity which i think is really cool like toy story has been like that and that's really neat much respect to that i also think that the characters are well crafted and i think that the twist is interesting and there's all that to do about it i just i i cannot look at this movie it just gets gets under my skin for whatever I think, reason i do think watching it because i watch this on disney plus and i have it on dvd i try to watch my, if i have the blu-ray i try to watch my copy of the blu-ray because that's a little better quality than disney plus but since i don't have it on blu-ray i watched it on disney plus i do think Especially coming off of Toy Story 2, which we were like, wow, this looks really great for 1999. I think this one is actually showing its age a bit more than Toy Story 2 does. Uh, I think so. That I kind of get, like, from that front, I kind of get what you're saying. But it's also, like, I think the story is strong enough. Kind of like with the first Toy Story. The story is strong enough that I'm like, I mean, if the story is timeless, we can have some weird shading here. Or, like, and it's weird, too, because I think it's weird that this movie has, like, I think very specifically, the, like, characters that are like, you're making him lose his focus, those two. I don't think those two look that great anymore. But it's weird, because it's like, they don't look good. I think there are moments Mike doesn't look good, but you, you guys, you know what the big, like, Pixar innovation of this movie was, right? Hair. The fur. The fur was, and, like, I think Sully looks fantastic. I think the Obama Snowman looks fantastic. I think, yeah. in a similar sense, who isn't furry, though, I think Randall looks like he looks creepy but he should look creepy i think the effect they do when he like still has a bit of his back like the background of him and he moves a bit that is so cool that like always i i it's crazy to me like this is i'm like there's something where i feel like this is me i'm about to make a comment on like the content 
industrial complex where you know you see all these tweets every like time there's like a new like superhero show out where it's like they just did that and it blew my mind like the she-hulk thing where it was like wow they're actually talking about how women feel you know you know what i'm talking about right you saw that tweet right no maybe i don't know my point here is that i feel like there's a real temptation to be like wow that really like was mind-blowing like and it's weird to like watch these moments where I'm like, dang, that feels like it would have been mind blowing back in 2001. But I was there in 2001. I don't think it blew my mind. I think I just kind of accepted it because I was a child, you know. <laughs> like that—that's all I have to say about like the effects with Randall. Even though Randall does look really cool. Well, I think it's—I well, no, think it's oh, interesting okay. because um, I won't get too into it. Probably, I mean, especially because I haven't finished it. But the series Monsters at Work like how much better they look just in this like made for Disney plus, you know, TV series. Um, they just like, everybody just looks so much, especially Mike, he looks so much more fluid and just, you know, the shading is so much better. Well, we already, we also, can we, I don't want to talk about monsters. You, cause we're going to do a full episode of monsters. You, but I do want to add a weird monsters. Thought. You Sarah. No, that one is book for monsters. Yeah. No. Also, yeah. I no... am not interested because I don't like monsters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay. Well, well, what I was gonna more say is I think it's interesting. I, I was thinking while watching this is that okay? So I would say most people consider the absolute golden age of, age of Pixar is Toy Story two through um, through Incredibles because Cars was the first time it was like even though it was still considered good, it wasn't considered great, you know. I think that is the absolute golden age of Pixar. And I had a thought when I was watching that Monsters, Inc., even though it does have a prequel and a sequel show, to me it feels like the most untouched, if just because they never went back to Boo. Because, like, Finding Nemo has Dory now, Incredibles 2 exists, and, of course, Toy Story always had its sequels. But we never went back to Boo. And people are always like, what would happen with Boo next? And we'll never find out. And this movie is so self-contained, and the Monsters, you think, you know, like, People always quoted when that came out like that. I've been friends with the fourth grade how like that Monsters Use plot doesn't make any sense. But it's like this just feels even with that film's existence that this completely stands alone. Even though I haven't watched Monsters at Work, I feel like since Boo isn't involved, it will still feel like this is untouched. Well, Monsters at Work is weird because it kind of it so it's, you know, at the end of this movie there's a year has passed. Monsters yeah. Monsters at Work takes place like in that year. So it's not even a. Oh. Se- it takes place like directly after Waternoose is arrested, and it's like them flipping the company. So it's like yeah, technically mm. kind of a midquel in a way. So even so, there, even there, it's like you know this movie, and I like that it's not been touched. I it's kind of like what I've said with Lucas. Like I don't want a Lucas sequel. I think the ending. <clears throat> I love the movie. I don't think we should see what happens next. And when I was a child, did I want to see what happened next with Boo? Yeah, hundred percent. But now that I'm an adult, I'm like no, like. It's nice that the story just is. Like, and I don't need to know what happens next. I can just assume he, like, he gets to visit Blue and they get to be friends forever. And that's nice. Like, let me let me keep that. Like, they don't need to go on another great adventure. They already had a great adventure. Let them be happy. Because, you know, the last time I saw... Well, I, I guess I saw this in 2020. But before then, you know, last time I saw it, I think it was before Incredibles 2 finding... It was before Incredibles Finding Dory already came out, but it was before Incredibles 2 and Toy Story 4. And even though I like Toy Story 4, I think it is kind of... That's kind of the point where, like, Toy Story is this thing where it's like, oh, yeah, we've definitely used this well a lot, you know? We've come back to this well a lot. Whereas, same... I feel like that was a general response with Incredibles and Dory as well. 
was like when they went back, we're like, okay, we didn't actually need that. Anyway, um, we never talked about it really. I, I I know we have to talk more about the movie itself, but we should talk about our relationships as a child and like growing up, because that is kind of like what we do on the show. Mark, you kind of said you didn't like this, right? Yeah, uh, I thought that's where we were, and I thought we were like doing that, but doing tangents. So I was like, oh, if no, you want to hear we about the structural basic... side of it in my brain, that was that was what well, I thought was well, going on. I haven't given I haven't given any of my thoughts on this as a child yet, so that's why I was like, I have not many thoughts because I did not want to watch it very much. Sarah, what about you? Um, like as a child, did you see this in theaters? Do you remember if you saw this in theaters? I did not, but I remember the first time I watched it. I was at my uncle's house, and my uncle was rich so <laughs> he had he had a full like projector set up and we were in his study and we watched it and um so i have very vivid memories of watching that especially like the the outtakes the musical i have very vivid memories of that um so no i've never seen it in theaters but i i don't know to me to be honest i know this completely contradicts what i said earlier <laughs> But I feel like this movie, to me, resonates far more as an adult. I just feel like the humor works more. I feel like I, you know, I never felt the emotion from the ending like I do now. No, yeah. Um, I don't I don't think I ever felt the emotion of the ending until I rewatched it in, like, 2020. Yeah. I, know, I mean, I didn't really, like, watch it that much as a kid because we didn't own it. So, like, unless it was on, like, ABC Family or whatever, and then I would watch it. Um, but it wasn't until like I was like an actual adult with money that I purchased it um, that I was like, yeah, this is a fantastic movie and I love it. So here's why here's why I was like, well, this needs some separate section for me because this is I know I was like this is a monumental movie, but this is actually a legitimate monumental film in the development of me watching movies at home. In that. We didn't get a DVD player until summer, sorry, summer, not summer, November 2002. And November of 2002, the DVD player came with Spider-Man 1 and Sam Raimi. But then we, my parents bought, because the window was so long until they were, because they waited for the next Christmas to put it out on DVD always. Uh, so we got Mo- Monsters, Inc. was on DVD. Monsters, Inc. was the first DVD we had. And, you know, when you first get a DVD, I don't know if you guys remember this, but... If you like movies, if you're like me, you watch VHS tapes over and over again. It's mind-blowing. Because one, you don't need to rewind it. But two, you can click bonus features. What are those? And it's like Mike's new car with a commentary track. Uh, that's not the interesting part. But I remember specifically was the Pixar DVDs were fantastic. The Pixar DVDs were always two discs. Because the first disc was the movie. And the second disc was... Like, you enter the factory and you can either go to where the humans go or where the monsters go. And the humans go is, like, the adult bonus features where it's, like, here's how we actually made the movie and all the technical stuff. But then the monster section's, like, put that thing back where it came from or so help me. Or, like, a gallery of, like, the artwork within the film. Like, I remember specifically, because we've talked about this on the show before, is that in Toy Story, Sarah, this is a, this is a recap for listening, but also for Sarah, because I know you didn't listen to it. In Toy Story, one thing that really struck me was, because it's the first CGI anime movie, is that there's a lot of text that's constantly moving. Because when you watch a cartoon that's 2D, you can't keep the text consistent. But, you know, like, Buzz always has his light ear on him. Woody always has the sheriff printed on him, stuff like that. And the reason I bring this all up now is that in the scene where they're, like, at Harryhausen's and they're looking at the menu, and it pops up, I'm like, I remember on the DVD, like, you could just flip through the menu yourself, because they had an entire gallery that you could do that with. And the one scene in particular that I remember, because they had like anatomy of a scene thing where it's like, here's it as storyboards, 
here's it with like no lighting here's it like an animatic no light like five different stages of production is oh dang i'm now i'm embarrassed for that because i can't remember how it begins but it's like oh hey wazowski nice job your numbers are looking really sweet oh are they i haven't really noticed how's georgie doing oh he's doing great i love the big guy keep the doors coming charlie i'm on a roll today george and i are like brothers <gasps> 2319! 2319! We got a 2319! And then the Rangman score goes. Well, yeah. Anyway, I want to prove on podcast that I had that all memorized. Uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, this was um this was a much rewatched DVD, but more importantly, it's a movie, first time I really like dug into the bonus features of it. Because I'm sure I even watched like some of the adult bonus features a couple like maybe once, but not like a lot. And also, I did see this in theaters. I remember this was a Thanksgiving movie we all saw. I also weirdly remember one time... Um, you guys don't have, like, an encyclopedic memory of when movies came out. And, like, I've always... I don't know if I, you know, I've always had that. Um, and I remember, I think it was maybe, like, 2004 or 2005. Uh, Monsters... It was, like, November 2nd, because that's the day Monsters, Inc. came out. And I go to my mom's like, because I know my mom loves Monsters Inc. As I said, Monsters Inc. was like my mom's favorite Pixar movie. It, should, it still is my mom's favorite Pixar movie. Not was, but at the time it still was her favorite Pixar movie. Uh, and I walk up to her and I'm like, Mom, you know what today is? It's the day Monsters Inc. came out. And she goes, Danny, today is the day my mother died like 20 years ago. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know that. She died before I was born. I'm sorry, Mom. Uh, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> Well, that's actually, that's interesting, because I knew that it was also November 2nd, because that's my parents' wedding anniversary. <laughs> Mark, what does November 2nd? November 2nd. <laughs> but, anyway, yeah, that's my, like, this was a DVD. And that's why I was saying, like, I'm so familiar. Because, again, it'd also be something we'd just bring on road trips, because we had a DVD player in the back of our car, and so would be like, eh, little Monsters, Inc. again. Like, I definitely have listened to the commentary track with this, like, four or five times because of the road trips I've been on. It's like, uh, we'll just put on the commentary because we're bored. You know? Hear what they have to say about this movie. I remember, actually... <laughs> well, this will transition us back to talk about the movie itself. But my favorite thing I've, I remember... The only thing I remember about the commentary track was it pointing out for the first time to me a joke I never caught, which was when... George gets the the stuff on him in the bathroom and his partner goes, 2319, all the CDA agents leave the toilet. And like Pete Doctor, or I think Leon, one of them on the audio commentary track is like, we thought this was the funniest joke that all the CDA agents were using the stalls at the exact same time. <laughs> and no one had caught it. And I was like, that is a really funny joke. <laughs> he said that in the commentary track? Yeah, he said that. I don't remember who it was, Pete Doctor, Leon Kurt, I don't know who it was, but one of the people on the commentary track was like, Yeah, we fought hard for this joke, and no one even gets the joke. <laughs> I remember that now. It's. I think it, it happens very quick. I did not even. I also did not register that moment. <laughs> as it is funny hilarious. when you think about it. <laughs> but yeah, um, if we want to talk about also voice acting, I think it's really interesting to view this. Because we all saw this as a child. Curious what it's like. This, this is very specific. Because I thought it was like, The Big Lebowski came out before this. And I don't really feel like John Goodman, Billy Crystal, or Steve Buscemi are doing much to disguise their voices. They're just like fitting the character well. And I'm curious to, if I was to ask someone like in 2001 who had seen those movies. And like, so like, are these voices like weird to you that you're just hearing? 
Because that's the thing is like we've said I've said this before is like since Tom since I saw Woody before I saw Tom Hanks I'll never really hear Tom Hanks's voice within Woody you know because it's just Woody. Same thing here where it's like if I listen for John Goodman I can hear John Goodman but otherwise he's just Sully because I grew up with Sully. But I don't know I'm just kind of curious that's something I guess I'll never know is like you know if you're really like if you watched all eight seasons of Roseanne and you watch Monsters Inc are you like oh there's John Goodman. Well, I think with John Goodman, it's hard not to miss him. I don't know. Even in the Emperor's New Groove. I, I mean, I guess as a kid, I probably registered that, like, Pacha and Sully were the same voice. You know? Well, for me, it's not exactly the same, but I, when I was a kid, I watched the Steven Spielberg produced We're Back, a dinosaur story, a lot, like, all the time. And that's party time. And I. It's party time. <laughs> and it's. Is that from it? Uh, there's like one song and John Goodman sings it. Um, oh, that's the song. No, it's not. Sorry. That's, uh, <laughs> um, I don't know where that earworm is from from my child. Anyway, go on. Sorry. But it's, you know, I I couldn't tell you if I watched Monsters, Inc. first or We're Back first. I'm pretty sure it was We're Back because we had it on VHS and we watched it all the time. So for me, John Goodman was the dinosaur whose name I can't even remember and Sully. But more so this dinosaur first because it is like he has such a distinct voice that he doesn't really need to do anything to it. But I think that, you know, when I think of like, I mean, Billy Crystal, I think is a big name, but I think when you, when you have somebody like John Goodman or Steve Buscemi, I mean, they're largely character actors. So I think that it's, I kind of, I don't know if they really are these like celebrity voice actors. I definitely think with Buscemi in particular, because I remember, because Buscemi is the bad guy in the first Boss Baby movie. And I remember seeing it, and, like, obviously, he's not, again, he's just doing Steve Buscemi in that movie, like, as he always does. But I was like, I can't place where that actor is, and then the credits scroll. It's like, oh, duh, of course it was Steve Buscemi. You know, like, it's just if I'm not seeing, also, Steve, well, I feel like they both have very distinct looks, you know? And even though their voices are really, like, distinct, it, you gotta get the full package to get to Steve Buscemi or John Goodman. Really, I feel like. The Maybe full package, not. what do you mean? Like, as I said, like, I've seen Steve Buscemi in other voiceover roles. But it's really hard for me to clock at Steve Buscemi, even though he never really does, like, an accent or anything, or a dialect. When I see Steve Buscemi's face coming in and his voice coming out of it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's definitely Steve Buscemi. That's what I'm saying. It's like the full path of the full package. Yeah. I agree with you. I had to, I looked up who's, who was Randall about midway through the movie. It's funny that I just imagine you watching Steve Buscemi, a video of him in the vocal booth. You're watching him act. You're like, yeah, that's Steve Buscemi. I think those videos, I, I love those videos. I always think about uh, the ones with, uh, in Bradley Cooper for Guardians of the Galaxy. Those are really funny videos of him just like, or the Ben Cumberbatch ones where he's smog in the recording booth and he's just like, get out of my face. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's very over the top. <laughs> See, I, I feel like, that... I don't know if it's just because I love this movie so much, but I just feel like it's so well cast that it's like, you know, you have this big, you know, teddy bear character. That's John Goodman. You have this kind of weaselly, lizardy character. That's Steve Buscemi. You have this, this over the top <laughs> comedian. Wazowski. You know, that's that's Billy Crystal. It just, I feel like it's so well. Even even like Meg Tilly who plays Celia. Like she has. That's like such a Meg Tilly isn't it role. Jennifer? I thought it was Jennifer Tilly, isn't it? Jennifer. Wow. You know what? They're sisters. It's okay to get them oh. confused. Oh okay. <laughs> uh, I well, I was gonna say also. Uh, I have not actually seen his other movies, 
But I think James Coburn as Waternus is also like top notch. And also, I think it's interesting that we've now got to the point in my life where I've seen enough movies with Frank Oz in it where he's just Frank Oz, where I can hear Frank Oz's voice in Fungus. <laughs> we've gotten to that point, guys. I now know Frank Oz is the character actor, not just as Miss Piggy or Yoda. <laughs> it was nice out that finally pushed me over. The th- I, I think it is Jennifer Tilly. Well, Mark I, I, sen- I sincerely <laughs> apologize. <laughs> I, called, I called Jennifer Tilly Meg Tilly. I can't have that. I edit these at like 3 a.m. the night before, and I think I, I don't want to get uh, get up and debate about having to ch- to correct it. Uh, best character, Mike Wazowski. Absolutely, 100%. I feel like, me personally, my personality is definitely more of a sully. However, I think that Mike is who we should all aspire to be. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> it's just that level I mean, of neurotic humor that just... It's just... it's. I mean, nobody could play this but Billy Crystal. So... Sarah, as someone, as a, as a, as a podcast, as a podcast, there's a tweet that I feel like goes viral every three months where someone's like, every podcast host is Mike or Sully. So you got to tell us which of us is Mike or which is Sully. Cause I think there's arguments for both. I, Although I think there's a really obvious choice. I completely, <laughs> I think it's extremely obvious that you, you are the Mike and Marcus the Sully. <laughs> Yeah, I would, I would agree, but I would say in the terms that Sully is like a good like parent figure, I think I'm a much better parent figure than Marcus. See, I, I think, think I want to take care of a child way more than he does. I think that's interesting Just because, because I you think have that... children on hand doesn't mean you know how to take care of them better. <laughs> yes, I do. What are you talking about? You want to fight me on this? <laughs> I do think that's interesting because I would label myself as a Sully. However. Me and my boyfriend, he is definitely the Sully, and I am the Mike of the relationship. <laughs> yeah, I feel like in any, like, I would say in Why is the Time Dan, I 100% was still the Mike there, you know? Like, I think in every podcast I pop up and I am the Mike. <laughs> it's just who I am. That's what? why they always cover me in the little the pictures. Like we should we should do that on our website. Is we should put the logo in front of my face from now on because we have that picture of you and me on our site. We should just put the looking for the ocean logo in front of our face. Oh, we forgot to say Sarah is most famous for uh, making our logo. <laughs> yeah, did you guys ever thank me for that? <laughs> we thank you in every episode. Yeah, oh. we thank you. At the, we thank you at the in the end credits of every oh. episode. <laughs> That's why I was like, oh, the listeners might recognize your name from that, I guess. I guess, I guess if I listened, then I would know that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying to, like, make a note of title ideas, but I want to attack your notion of, like, Not which one. Not care of children. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not so, I don't know. I think here, can, can we have a tangent? Because the movie is related to child care. Like, what does it take, y'all? Do you you think that Sully (laughs) is Sully is Sully a good dad? Uh, I think the whole movie has a not a flaw, but whatever you think about, oh, this movie takes place over two days. It's kind of like the this connection seems a bit too strong. I think I think he'd be a good dad. I think it's it's definitely one of those things where it's like a sad thing where it's like he doesn't seem like he will ever be a dad. He'll just be like the fun uncle to. Mike's kids, but yeah, 
that should be the fallout to Masha Zink is he gets married. See to somebody. Somebody. I feel like to further this tangent, for me, what I love about movies, I I love rom coms, I love romances, I love that type of movie. If they can fall in love in you like bros? Sorry, 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 Billy. Um, if they, How dare you? If they can fall in love in like an hour, like real time, then I'm all for it. I think it's it's just the movie magic for me. So I think it's totally believable that he loves Boo. I mean, who wouldn't love Boo? Mark, because he hates children. <laughs> I don't hate children. I don't. That's hate why Boo. he's the Mike. That's why. <laughs> no, I just think I don't know. It's. I feel like part of this. No, it's not about you being Microsoft. It's it, the. Th- I don't know. This comes up every now and like, I don't know. Every few episodes, we we kind of touch on this, and it's related to the show because we're talking about movies that kids watch, right? Mm-hmm. And every time something like this comes up, I think about what these movies are doing to kids' brains, and I guess me putting it that way is kind of weird. <laughs> But <laughs> Monster Zink is going to brainwash children. No, not like what that. What do they mean just clean mean... energy? Well, that's you know what? I just got to say, I think this is so interesting to me, too, because I have never in my life seen anybody say that Mike and Sully are gay for each other. And I think that that's a very important touchstone because you could very obviously make that connection. However, they do not give off that energy so, well, I, no, I think not the at all. Key difference. Okay, so Buzz and Woody, I feel like it's the comps you're making, right? Because everyone always like Buzz and Woody are gay. <laughs> I guess not everyone, but you know, it's it's something talked about. It's possible. It's, it's a possibility. I think the key difference here is I feel like I feel like Bo and Woody are like you know they're just kind of flirting with each other. They don't actually seem like they're a thing. They're just like oh you know Bo likes him and she they, like you know they like each other, but like. You feel like Celia and Mike, like Mike's gonna maybe propose to her soon. You know, it's it's that they're very far in their relationship. They're very comfortable with each other in a way where, yeah, I think Celia is a little too over the top in the writing sometimes, or like how she's so head over heels with him. But also, it's like it's more the thing. The the issue is more that you know we spend time with Mike away from Celia. In the scenes he's with Celia, he acts exactly the same to her. So it's like. <laughs> Whereas I'm sure Celia, like, if we actually got to see, like, her life, it'd be like, oh, you know, yeah, she she has a pretty healthy life outside of it. Like, you know, but I don't know. I shouldn't give credit to Celia. I guess that's my point, though. It's like Celia is a much more, like, character that's involved with the plot. And then Bo is just kind of like, oh, Buzz, he's definitely there. Until, you know, Toy Story 4 where it's like, oh, actually, no, Woody's actually really into Bo now. I don't know. I, I think that's why, personally. I think Celia is... Celia keeps him pretty... It's not like it's not like Lord of the Rings, you know, where at the end, I don't know where Samwise is like, I'm gonna get married, you know? It's, uh... Celia's there the entire time. I, th- I do think she has that one moment where she saves them from Randall by putting on her announcer voice. And I think that yeah. is a significant moment of seeing her not when she's flirting with Mike. Exactly. She seems like... Like, when she's not interacting with Mike... I don't know. One of my favorite, like, very quick moments in the movie is when she says, Hi, Silly Willie. And he goes, Hi, Silly Willie, I guess. <laughs> Especially because if you think about it, like, it's definitely like something where it's like, she probably calls him Silly Willie pretty frequently. And Sully just never gets out of response. 
Hey, you know, like, there's very clear, like, Sully has a lot of respect for that relationship. That he would never even think about it, you know? And thus, anyone watching this who might be into, like, slashing, I don't know if that's the word, but you know what I mean? Like, being like, this is queer-coded. No one's going to do that because Celia is such a prevalent part in both their lives. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, I I said that, you know, in jest, but, like, now looking at it seriously, <laughs> I don't think it's, I don't think it is at all. Um, so I do think that's interesting. Because even, like, Mater and Lightning McQueen, you can make an argument for <laughs> I mean, yeah, cars too. You're the bomb, Mater. Well, there's a bomb only! That's Do you think there's more to it than just Lightning McQueen is in a very early part of his relationship with the Sally? girl car? The girl car. <laughs> Do you remember the moment in Cars where he goes like, is that a tramp stamp? And that was like in all the trailers. It was very weird. But I wonder what... what... <laughs> yeah, I remember that. But what are the, the signifiers... That show us beyond just that Mike is like way into a relationship and Lightning McQueen and Mater are bachelors. Is, well, I think is there more to it than that? If we want if we want to talk about relationships in a Pixar movie, also like we can jump ahead of movie. I feel like no one ever viewed Marlon and Dory as romantic, even though it's a girl and a boy. Which is true. Like I don't think it was ever considered. But I mm. is that is that outside information because we know that Ellen is a lesbian? No, because as a child, I didn't think... I didn't know Ellen was a lesbian as a child. I'm not sure Dory is a lesbian. I don't think... I think Dory's pretty ace. I think Dory is, like, you know, like... I think Dory is very, very ace. I think, well, I think to that point, I think that she's so childlike in the movie. And obviously there's, you know, you think I could do these things, but you can't, you know? Um, yeah. That it's like, you. it doesn't even... You don't even... And also, we see Coral at the beginning as well. And she's so different from Dory. This We're talking about a completely different movie now. Well, we're talking, we're talking about the romance of Pixar movies. No, we can tell Sully and Mike do not want anything with each other. I just want to get into the nitty-gritty about what are specific lines where they signal that they're interested or not interested or that you can like read into them that they're interested or not. Mike it or might Sully? be beyond the scope of the the podcast. I have to go on the sites and look around and consult experts. I mean, does Pixar even have like romantic couples besides Mr. and Mrs. Incredible? And Jesse, I, I guess, you know, like the, Woody, the Toy Story ones that are just kind of there. Yeah. You know? Is there one? In, there's one in Turning Red, right? There's a mom and a dad, you know? like Oh, she doesn't have like a crush? She does have I a mean, crush. She has a crush on like not really important characters. I think the Luca, most... I guess you can read Lightning Luca. Like, yeah, his, Luca. His entire career coding you can go with, in, like, with like, oh, there's the girl that comes in and the boy's jealous. Yeah, anyway. Uh, I think even the song, like, even If I Didn't Have You is, like, it's, like, a love song, but it's, like, not really. I mean... <laughs> It's I you know it's it's just two dudes just hanging out well, like <laughs> I think it's I think that's interesting because I feel like if I didn't have you I guess I, I haven't really listened to the Randy Newman one because I just listened to the Randy Newman one and there's a Billy Crystal and John Goodman one but like I feel like you listen to when she loved me out of the context of Toy Story two it does sound like a love song but I feel like if I didn't have you the lyrics are clear like oh yeah this guy's my friend and this is like a jokey like it's a jokey Randy Newman song. Uh, I feel like there are uh, also the, I guess that kind of goes with like Sarah McLaughlin versus Randy Newman singing <laughs> but like I feel like it never gives I don't think it is a love song I don't think it's a, it's meant to be like a bromance song you know and it is a, a 
put a song. Oh, it's a good Oscar winner. That's a, it is. This is the first thing Randy Newman won an Oscar. It is. That's crazy. Well, uh, and even I, if you... I, no, go ahead. No, well, if you're going to keep talking about the love stuff, we can say I definitely want to talk about Randy specifically. Well, I was. This is kind of a transition because I was going to say, okay. you yeah. know, when you look at uh, You've Got a Friend in Me, not a love song, but when you look at We Belong Together, that's a love song. So it's yeah. interesting kind of the progression. Because our, you know what? I'm going to say right now, Buzz and Woody, gay. <laughs> that's that's the truth. <laughs> that's why you haven't watched four. You're like, it's no, not canon. It's not, not canon. canon. <laughs> <laughs> Do we think that because we're so used to, now I'm really talking like someone who has not studied this closely, but the Monsters, Inc. song is such a love song it is so overt i think we read it as not gay because it's so out there but anything that is under a layer of coding invites us to be a little more mm, inclined to think that there's some relationship going on between them you know because the the dialogue of Woody and Buzz is so platonic, there might be something there. But because Mike and Sully are so affectionate, we we can conclude that they're not interested in each other. I mean, I, again, I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of, I don't want to be like, let's move on. But it's like, to me, it does still come down to like the Celia thing. Like, you know, like it comes down to like Celia's there. And the thing about it, if I didn't yeah, have you as a song. Yeah, it's too easy for me. The, but right. the Billy, okay, my point is the Billy Crystal and John Goodman performing performance is not Billy it's Mike and Sully performing like they refer to each other by their name there's like parts where it's like I feel blue because I have blue fur or like uh, I'm just an optic nerve it's stuff like mm-hmm. it, it is them in character so to me it's just like oh yeah I imagine like a very goofy over the top like Mike is like being lifted up by soloing during the dance he's like can you let me lead like I think uh, yeah no I think we could we could move on but I do think that that's a good point and I think that especially when you look at Toy Story it's set up as kind of this like love hate relationship, which is you know kind of a rom com trope. So it makes sense to me. Maybe we got the breakup scene here. Maybe we got the breakup. That's true. With <laughs> John Ratzenberger, they're going. It's lemon. <laughs> John... uh, but I wanted to talk about Randy. I want to talk about Randy Newman, which is again last week I was like, great score. Uh, not last Toy Story two episode. I was like, great score. And this I'm like. Fantastic score, like phenomenal, like do, 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 do. just, just it's so good. And I will say, at at, ev- at the end of every episode of Monsters at Work, it's a variant of that. So it's like, like one one episode is about how Mike wants to go. He gets like free tickets to see a baseball game, so it's played on like an organ, and like it's just like stuff like that. Like it's so good. <laughs> I think, yeah, no, I think it's a. Uh, I don't, I'm mad because this always happens. I like I watch the movie like, dang, this movie has so many great themes besides the main one. And then I get on the podcast, I'm like, I only remember the main one. But but like in the moment, it's like, oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's a great score. And I think the song, the song at the end, really is like the cherry on top. Where it's like on Disney Plus, inexplicably the outtakes aren't on it, but I still let it play so I can listen to that song all the way. I like. I'm like no, I have to hear the end because it's it's funny. It's a good song, and it's I think it's awesome. It's what Randy finally won his Oscar for, found the podcast Randy Newman. Uh, <laughs> and Boo, I mean Boo's theme is also. I mean, just when they're in the bedroom, like that theme really sticks with me. I mean, it's you know there are movies where there are very few movies, animated movies, I would say where there's multiple themes that kind of stick out with me. But this movie definitely. Mark, what do you think about Randy? 
I do not remember the music. That's I'm like so sorry. That's spoken like someone who did not have the DVD, but they left it on the background for an hour and then we just heard. And when you click press play movie, you get the do 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 every time. I feel like the the Monsters Inc. music, obviously you got a friend of me, and then the the city music from A Bug's Life is like those three just like stick out with me so much. Wait, wait, wait. What Toy Story are you thinking of? Uh, you got a friend of me? Probably, I, we, well, probably Strange Things is the one that sticks well, out well, the most. I think score, we were talking about this, the scores in Toy Story is like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-
I think it would be for vertigo inducing in like a really good way. <laughs> you know what? What scene really um, blew my mind watching this time was it's not in the it's not in that big scene, but it's when Mike gets kidnapped and he goes through her door, and it's just like this. It's such a deep shot of him in her room and it's just like it's such a simple thing but it blows my mind that there's so much depth to him being back there yeah i again um i don't know if you're aware of this sir that the disney plus version is the i don't think they i think they just re-rendered it really quick i don't think there's any actual changes to it but it's the 3d version because they had to because that's the disney look the new disney logo is on the front of it so they had to redo the gcp and they just you know that's the best looking render of the film, so they just put that one up, which makes sense. But again, it's like, and I, I just, this is also just something because I just rewatched Avatar, but it's like, uh, I wonder what this would have looked like in 3D. Um, but no, yeah, I think, I think it's weird that like, okay, because we talk about the delicious schmoes meme during uh, Toy Story two. There are definitely a lot of moments in this movie where I was just watching it, and then out of nowhere, I thought about those bizarre memes where it's just like Mike staring at someone with Sully's eyes. It's really weird because I also kind of went back to that thing where I was saying earlier, where it's like this feels kind of untouched in the sense that all of its memes are like they're just like weirdo, like perverting a childhood memory type of thing. They're not like the ever like like you know like. Where is my super soup? That's just a clip from the movie. Or delicious schmoes is just something from the movie. This is like a bizarre, like, let's put Sully's face on Mike's body. <laughs> just at you. Just, it's so good, though. It, just, like it conveys just that perfect emotion. <laughs> um, the thing that I was going to say, it's I'm a- sorry, Mark. I'll be quick. No, um, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> is speaking of the oscars because i forgot to mention this is when um when they presented it it was nathan lane who presented the award i've told you i've told danny this before but um when he like read them out and they did this whole thing where like they were in the audience so like mike and Sully were there and trek was there and jimmy neutron was there and <laughs> trump dominated it so that that was in the sorry just quick quick divergence in that richard linklater story from earlier i feel like a lot of people were like yeah, when Waking Life got snuffed for Jimmy Neutron, that should have told you this was never going to be nominating adult films at this at award shows. But this was, I mean, this was in 2002 was when the ceremony was, but Nathan Lane, when he presented it, he was like, Monsters, Inc., is that a documentary about Harvey Weinstein? And I just, just, wow, they knew, they all knew. He tried to tell us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone did, but... I remember, I remember all that, like, when it finally happened, you know, and of course Seth MacFarlane at the time was like, yeah, I tried to warn you guys, and it's like, dude, shut the, shut up, like, what? Didn't you not watch my Oscar ceremony? Yeah, we all, we all remember the moment where she sang the boob song, and everyone hated you for it. Well. I also remember tweeting when COVID happened. This is just very quick, Mark, then I'll let you talk. When COVID happened, I remember tweeting the water news thing, and I was like, I don't remember exactly how I worded it, but it was like, I'll kidnap a thousand children before I let this company die. Where it was like, I'll reopen a thousand jobs, like ten, th- like a hundred, the stock market before. It was like, before I let the stock market die or something like that. Oh, I think it was like, I'll reopen a hundred thousand churches before I let the stock market die. Because <laughs> that was like a bizarre thing. Everyone was like, the churches have to be open by Easter. when We shut down literally a month before Easter. So it's like, this can only be three weeks long, guys. That will do it. 
That's anyway, so sorry, wild Mark. how <laughs> pressing some of that seemed. And now I think if something on that scale happened again, I, I hope that people would be a little better about what they we need be. to do. They won't be. What a, <laughs> They'll be probably worse. What a bizarre like, cliche take fine. that was. I can't believe that came out of my mouth. You just <laughs> awoke something in me. <laughs> I have a closing thought about Monsters, Inc. For as ambivalent as I am towards the film watching it now, I think that rewatching this has opened something up for me because now I'm finally, I think, starting to understand something that you proposed when the podcast began, which was that auteur theory is a part of the Pixar brand because now I see it a little bit, or I see evidence for it with this Pete Doctor film. It's his first film that's set in an imaginary world. And I remembered that because I have the same reaction to Inside Out. I really like the real parts and and Soul as well, which I just looked at. Did Pete Director direct Soul? Yeah, he did. Oh my gosh. They all have these just made-up worlds in them. And I don't often click with those, but it is interesting to see that pattern and see the the evidence for the <clears throat> auteur, auteurist uh, a- analytical approach that you proposed when we began. We have begun. We have found a bit of the ocean. My closing thought is Pete Doctor. Why did you rip off that Looney Tunes show? <laughs> it wasn't. It was an homage. <laughs> I know. <I'm> just <laughs> Sarah, do you have a closing thought? I want to give Sarah an opportunity to have a closing. You're thought. right. I'm a fool. <laughs> um i still love this movie i still i don't know it's just it's a comfort movie to me you know there are still things that i pick up on i just i'm always gonna love this movie that's it okay do you have anything else that you want to say or plug at the very end no no you can't do that yet mark we have to give it something we have to give it something we have to give the film something. I'm going to keep saying this over and over again. We have I, to give the I, film I need something. to look at the, at the we outline. We have to give it something. It's that's the right. It's the entire gimmick of this show. That's not the whole gimmick of the show, but it's a very fun gimmick of our show. Is that All right. We give it something. Sarah. There, Sarah. We do not give it a grade. We give the film something. Okay. <laughs> do you want me to go first, Mark, or do you have an idea? Uh... This is you don't need an idea, you just need a song in your heart. I'm okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it uh that case of beer that what turned out to be non alcoholic that I mentioned at the start gonna, of the episode. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take one of those memes of Soli and Mike's face uh combined together. I'm going to color invert it and put evil monsters Inc. meme be like and they'll just be insert text here at the bottom. That is what I get. That's actually a good meme idea. <laughs> um, now I feel like mine is going to be stupid. Um, I'm going to give it my sweatshirt because I have mascara on it from when I from when I cried watching it. So that'll be what I'll give it. All right. Well, that was fantastic. <laughs> so. Uh, I almost said, guest, do you want to plug yourself? Insert guest here. 
<laughs> what's, what's going on? You got to sign off or anything. <laughs> um, well. Um, Mark is not having a good time right I, uh, what am I, what am I doing? I have another podcast with Danny and far off future guest Caleb um, called The Snub Clubs. You can find that wherever you find your podcasts. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram um, at S-G-K-E-S-S-G-E-K-O-I-29. Um, you can find me on Letterboxd, just my name, Sarah Knopf. Um, it is October, so I am doing my annual um, Femtober series, which is 31 films directed by, 31 horror films directed by women. That sounds really interesting. If only I had more time to talk about it. Well. Oh, well. I might. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who's to say? <laughs> well, sir, it was great to have you on. Uh, yeah, really I, good. I, I, I literally knew as soon as I was like, going to do a Pixar podcast, I'm like, okay, so Sarah's a monster sink. Because I knew it was your favorite movie. So it's great to be here. Talk about, yeah. Really, it was, I mean, it was really, I I know it's like the polite thing to say to be like, oh, it was fun to be here, but I really, I did enjoy talking to you guys. So I I hope to be back perhaps for another episode, but again, absolutely. I don't know if, I mean, this is kind of the peak. This is kind of the peak. Danny, what are we doing next time? All right, so as I said, this was the first DVD ever owned, which means this means this is the first DVD Pixar put out, which means this is the first time Pixar put out a DVD short that follows up with the characters. Next week, we'll be talking about Mike's new car. Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Our original artwork was done by Sarah Knopf, and each episode is edited by me. If you'd like to be notified about new episodes, you can find us on Facebook at Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, on Twitter at Pixar Journey, on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and on our website, lookingfortheoceanpixar.podbean.com. If you want to know what I'm up to or find me on social media, you can head over to markyoungperformer.com. And if you'd like to see all my takes on all the movies, you can find me on Letterboxd at Blankman's. If you'd like to hear me on another podcast, I also have The Snub Club, a podcast about film history. We'll see you next time. See you next time.